My guest this week is Richard Jubb, Mortgage Advisor at CS Mortgage Solutions, and we are discussing investing in buy-to-let mortgages. Welcome back to the Mortgages, Money and More podcast. I'm Craig Skelton, Principal of the CS Financial Group, and my guest today is Richard Jubb, Mortgage Advisor at CS Mortgage Solutions, who is also an experienced landlord, and we are discussing investing in buy-to-let mortgages. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me on. No, it's good to have you on. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. How are you, Craig? Yeah, good. Yeah, good, thank you. So, first time on the podcast, we finally get you on. Finally, finally drag you onto the podcast eventually. Yeah, I think... um... Yeah, it's been kind of on the cards for a while, so I've managed to get away with it so far. But no, it's, it's good to be here to talk about, you know, something that I do enjoy discussing with people. So no, thanks for having me. No, I think it is. Um, no, it's, it is good to get to finally get you on. Like you say, we, t- we always tend to find that once people have been on once, we then struggle to keep them off and they want to keep coming back on. And it just made sense. We've got, um, obviously, we'll get into to, to discussion about the topic and stuff like that. But I'm always keen to f- get people on on to the podcast and the guests to talk about something that they are interested in, excited about, keen in, shall we say. So, yeah, it's good to get you uh, on and talk about investing in buy-to-lets and buy-to-let mortgages and being a landlord and all those sorts of things. So, good. So, first of all, because it's your first time on the podcast and we always do this, so do you want to give a bit of a background about yourself? Who is Richard Job and where you've come from and where you are right now? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I'm quite a new mortgage advisor. So I only started advising um, back in November 2020. So last year, my background was in business to business sales. And I had a kind of 10, 11 year career doing that. Had a, a massive rethink um, sort of at the start of 2020 and wanted to make a change and go into a field that I, I really in, like, enjoyed talking about so the, the foundation for that really Craig came from you know as you as you know already it came from investing in property prior to that mm-hmm. so that's kind of investor first and then you know mortgage advisor second so yeah really enjoy what I do and you know although I don't have enough money to do it it's like buying a house every day because you're involved with clients every day buying property so it's great exactly and I think that's like it's clear to see that it's something that you are interested in excited about keen and everything else so yeah it's um we'd love to be able, like you say we'd love to have the money to be able to invest in a in a new house every single day but um you have got a day job as well to do so uh so yeah but who knows in the future mate in the future who knows where you'll end up yeah so today we're talking about investing in buy-to-let property and i was reading something the other day where one in 10 millennials want to invest in property over the next 12 months. So that is good. So like the 35 to 45 year olds have a plan to buy investment property within the next 12 months. So the idea was for the podcast to just have a chat about that, obviously for you to share your experiences and yeah, just hopefully people can learn from that and people who are interested in investing in property will sort of answer all those questions ideally. So do you want to give a bit of you touched on a little bit there, but about your background before you became mortgage advisor. Do you want to just explain about how you came about to to being invested in the in the property market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was really completely by accident, to be honest, Craig. Uh, I ended up with a 
with owning a property and I had to decide really whether to keep it or, or sell it. So that's when I started to research the whole uh, topic and just found it all absolutely fascinating in terms of what it can achieve for people uh, with their finances over a, you know, the, the medium to long term. So straight away, kind of the light bulb went on and I went on a bit of a, a journey, excuse the cliche, but in wanting to build a portfolio of properties up to be able to leave my job that I was doing at the time and retire effectively from work by the time I was 40 years old. So that was the plan at the time. And I started that journey by selling that first uh, property, buying a, a rental uh, straight away. And that's gone well ever since. And I'm currently doing my second project now and it should be ready to rent by the end of May. So yeah, briefly, that's kind of how I, I got into it and uh, where I'm up to so far. Okay, excellent. I like it's good to hear that, you, like, say your journey and your experiences so far, and you continue to to learn during that journey. And so, obviously, you've got your second project which you, you're working on now. I know when we speak at weekends, and you're not sat in front of your laptop being a mortgage advisor, then you are doing something exciting to to, to, to your second project. I won't say doing exciting stuff, though, Craig. You've seen the you've seen the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that cat it's not that glamorous sometimes but it's uh it's all a greater good so yeah it's uh it's good no, i think i think you are getting your hands dirty and rolling your sleeves up which is um testament to you mate because i is um not something that i could probably when i look at the, some of the stuff that you've done um in your home as well as sort of obviously your second project then yeah fair play to you mate fair play to you so so fine so let's just um should we get back to basics then? Just really sort of try to explain to people, go talk about deposits, stamp duty, affordability, limited company versus like individual buy to lets, that sort of thing, types of property and stuff like that. So we will try and um, sort of be as quick through this as we can, just give people as much information as we can around that. So, so yeah, so first, so first of all, I'm a, I'm, I'm not a millennial in, in, in any way, shape or form. So, uh, but I'm sort of 35, 45, thinking about investing in my property for the first time. Let's look at deposit first of all. So what sort of deposit do these people need, Richard? Yep. So although there's lots of different products out there, generally the, the minimum is going to be 25% of the purchase price that you'd need to get, get into investing. There are some products around that are, um, you know, where you need a little bit less, but generally for your first one, I'd say 25% is the minimum. Right, okay. Like you said, there are products that are out there that are, I'm guessing, less favourable on the rate if you're only putting down 20% compared to 25 and, and less lenders doing that, I'm guessing. Yeah, so yeah, below 25% deposit, you're going to reduce your choice down. The, the borrowing is going to be more expensive, but also remember, if it's your first one, you're a first-time landlord, some of the criteria that the lenders have might exclude you from those products anyway. So, you know, generally you want to be aiming for that 25% deposit to, to get, to get into this, I would say. Right. Okay. So I need at least 25%. So that's um, the, the starting point with it. So I can um, easy enough work that out. So you just alluded to a little bit there and you talked about being a, a first time landlord. Does that cause you any issues if you are a first time landlord rather than an experienced one? No, I wouldn't say issues. I mean, everyone's got to start somewhere, haven't they? So, Lenders know that and they're not um, adverse to lending to first-time landlords, but they might ask that, for example, if they're going to work with a first-time landlord, they want them to be on a, a minimum income, um, like £25,000 a year, for example, 
or they might want you to, you know, at least own your own home, you know, be an owner occupier. So yeah, it's not, you know, it's not a non-starter. You've got to get into it somehow, but there might be just a few restrictions on your choice of lender, for example. Right. Okay. That's fine. So um, it doesn't restrict me from a, I can still get a mortgage being a first time landlord. I just need to jump through the options are less and I just need to jump through a few more hoops from a, an income point of view or owning my own home kind of situation. So yeah, that's, that's right. Um, obviously it all depends on your own situation and, um, you know, there are more specialist lenders to deal with more complex situations, but I'm just speaking in kind of general terms here that, you know, first time landlords have got that everyone's got to start somewhere. So don't think, um, that you can't get into it because you've not got your own home or you don't earn enough. There might be options for you, but you know, a mortgage broker will be able to help you out with that. Okay. Excellent. So if I'm looking to invest in buy to lets, but I'm still in rented or living with parents or family or things like that. I could, that doesn't stop me from owning a buy to let property then. No, not necessarily. Like I said, um, it might just reduce the choice of lenders, but it shouldn't be um, it shouldn't be dead in the water by any means. It you know it just depends on your your full circumstances. So for example, someone with um, very low income and um, that doesn't own their own home that lives with parents or in, or in rented, then you know that I think the the, the choice of lenders is going to be very much uh, reduced, and you can sort of see why because lenders will be thinking, well, hang on a minute, why aren't you buying your own home first, for example? So yeah, it is very much on your circumstances, and um, you know the the kind of weirder things are the, the more the choice is narrowed. But there's there's lots of options, so it's just worth speaking to a mortgage broker about that, so you can make an informed choice on your first steps. Okay, brilliant. So into so when we you sort of talked a little bit about minimum income and things like that, um, how do the lenders? sort of gauge affordability so how do they assess how much i can borrow so say if i've got 25 percent, so i'm looking at buying at we'll use simple terms on this so say looking at buying a hundred thousand the house is worth a hundred thousand i've got twenty five thousand pound deposit so i'm looking to get seventy five um thousand pound mortgage how do the lenders assess that i can afford that or not because obviously with normal residential mortgages it's four times four and a half times up to five times annual salary, single or joint, things like that. How does that work from a, a buy-to-let point of view? Yeah, so it's much more about the the property than it is about you. So when it comes to this, it's all about the rent. So what the lender wants okay. to see is that the rent coming in every month is more than adequate to cover the mortgage payment. So this, you might hear it referred to as interest cover ratio or ICR. So that just means... We want to see that there's more than enough money coming in from rent so that you can afford the interest on the mortgage and you know there, there's a bit of room for you know things to go wrong in terms of maintenance maybe a vacancy here and there so yeah that's how they calculate it and it's all slightly different and it depends on your your income tax position and things like that as to whether they'll want it to be at least 125 percent of the interest rate or 145 percent of the interest rate um and it's quite a complex area but generally to simplify it they want to know that you can more than cover the uh, the interest payments on the mortgage and when you mentioned minimum income requirements for example that's 
that's just a criteria certain lenders have, you know, in, in the background because they want you to tick that box to make sure that they, you can sort of meet those payments if things go really wrong. So, um, yeah, that's 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 a summary of it. It's quite a complicated area, but that makes sense. But but no, but no, it, it is quite complicated. It can it seems quite complicated, Richard? But fundamentally, it's the rent. What I'm getting the the answer you're giving me is that it's the rent that governs the amount they can borrow. Not it's not about my personal income or anything like that. It's about the rent income really that that, that governs how much I can borrow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's correct. Yeah, They'll, it all the calculation will be based off of off of the rent to see what the maximum borrowing would be against that particular property. Okay, and in terms of um, when you sort of said the, about interest and and paying the interest, you, do you tend to find that most landlords do the mortgage on interest only rather than repayment yeah so this this is an interesting discussion this one um, that i have with quite a lot of clients and it really depends on your your personal kind of attitude towards things and also the the goal at the end of the day so you know all re- most residential mortgages when you're buying properties to live in you want to see that that loan paid off at some point in the future so that's why repayment mortgages are the norm now whereas with buy to let for a lot of investors it's a case of you know you are putting your money in that asset you want to make a return on the money but then you never really have any aspiration to own the asset outright in the future so like if you bought shares in a company you're not kind of saving up to buy the whole company one day you're just buying shares to make a return and then you'll sell them at some point so it's an interesting debate now what I tend to go through with clients is even if at some point in the future they want to own that that property outright and have everything paid off, interest only is still a really good option because it means you've just got more flexibility. So, you know, for example, on a that notional um, uh, property you talked about, Craig, with your £25,000 deposit, your £75,000 loan, you know, you, you could be looking at a mortgage interest only payment of, I don't know, somewhere between 150 and 200 pounds a month for that. Now, if you went repayment over, say, you know, 20, 25 years, that could be up, you know, four or 500 pounds. And for a property like that, if your rent's only maybe 600, 650, things can get quite tight if you're on a repayment um, mortgage. Whereas on the interest only, you can just meet those, those minimum payments with the interest. And if you've got the spare money, you've got the spare capital, you can just overpay within the limits that the lender sets. So normally that's 10% of the balance per year. £7,500, for example, in that first year, you'd be able to overpay by. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, Craig, but I think, you know, interest only is it, it needs to be researched properly by people before they kind of uh, dismiss it as, well, I'll never, I'll never have it paid off. I'll never ever pay it off in the future. Not always the case. I like the um, the one thing I haven't heard. I like the share analogy that you talked about before about like obviously investing in a firm, like buying shares. You're not looking. The ultimate goal is not to own the company. You're just buying shares to make profit and make income and um, generate business out of it. So that's a great analogy that I've not heard before. So I clearly get that now. And I think that's a great analogy for our listeners, Richard, in terms of having that sort of mindset. And then as well, the flex like the flexibility bit, because like you say, people's mindset are is I want to get paid off, I want it paid off in twenty, twenty-five years or whatever the the um term is they're looking at. 
giving them the flexibility by doing it on interest only, but then overpaying up to the 10%. So like you say, quite clear, you can pay overpay on a mortgage from what you've said, 10%. So that analogy we use, 7,500 7, a year, you can overpay by. Well, that's, that's still quite a decent chunk a month that you can overpay by, isn't it? So that's not that's more than your repayment mortgage would be anyway. But it just gives you that flexibility that you can pick and choose what you want to do in terms of overpaying or paying a lump sum off or increasing your direct debit each month. But then you're just to push you, it gives you the flexibility and puts you in control, doesn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. Is that flexibility is the key word for me there? And also, when you think about it, it depends on your your goals and your strategy. Um, for investing I mean you might want to invest in that property and then the take it taking the profit out of it to go towards the the next one might be more important to you than paying down that first one or taking the profit out of it and paying it off your own residential home might be more important to you than paying off that buy to let so it very much depends on the individual and their attitude to you know, to what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, thanks for that, Richard. So just obviously at the moment, hot topic is stamp duty being extended till the end of June, all the, the different things going on. How does stamp duty work from a buy to that point of view? Yeah, so basically when you're in, investing in property, um, it kind of, it, not, to, not to cop out of this one, but it does depend on your situation a little bit. So if you are investing for example in your own in your own name and you own your own home uh, separately then you're buying a second property effectively which means you're going to incur a a three percent additional rate on anything that you do so again we'll come back to our example that hundred thousand pound purchase the stamp duty will be three thousand pounds so that's that's kind of it i mean if you're a first time buyer and you've not got your own home yet, then there potentially be some exemptions there for you, depending on, you know, at, at the time we're doing this, that, that might be beneficial for you, but in the future it might not. So you just want to be clear going into it what, you, what your circumstances are and what charges apply to those circumstances. Um, if you're investing in a limited company, you're always going to pay that, that additional 3% surcharge. So, yeah. There's loads of calculators online, Craig, that'll be able to help you with that. If you if you're unsure as a first time investor, just um, just find yourself a good calculator online, and it'll tell you exactly what that stamp duty liability would be for that that first investment. Okay, great. And we'll come on to the limited company in in a second. So, but so with the stamp duty, I think you're right. I think also as well, go worst case scenario because then if you are if you do get benefit somewhere or some sort of look before with whether you're a first-time landlord and things like that if you still just go worst case scenario paying you your three percent then at least then you know what you're going to be budgeting for and any benefit or difference on that if you do get reduction then it's just a bonus really isn't it yeah absolutely um i mean you remember, you've just got to remember that all the holidays that have been announced and everything you know investors aren't really benefiting from any of that the three percent has always you know it's been there for quite some time now and it has been for the last you know 18 months or so while the holidays were announced so you just see it as a you know that three percent's pretty much always going to be there and then you might if you're doing buy to let on more expensive properties so 
and you start to get up to kind of 150, 200,000, then you're going to have to double check what else is going on in terms of stamp duty at the time, whether there's, you know, 2% above 125,000 to 250, um, etc. So it's complicated, Craig, and it's changing all the time. So we'll probably do this podcast today and then next week it'll be different. <laughs> yeah. But that's just that's just the world of mortgages at the minute anyway. And so it's just what we do podcast one day and then two <laughs> weeks later when it's released, it's uh, the world's in a different place. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think we, we're used to that by now. Hopefully these sorts of things, these are fundamental things we're going through. So hopefully these things won't change. Yeah. Hopefully not. So you alluded a little bit there about limited companies. So what's the difference between buying a buy to let and investing from a limited company point of view compared to just doing it as an individual, as as a one person? Right. So this is a this is a big one. It's it's been a, a hot topic for quite a few years now, and the reason it's a hot topic is that the the government basically moved the goalposts back in twenty sixteen. Um, so yeah, this is again, like I said, it's, it's a long one. Is this so? Take a, take a breath, take a drink, and 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 listen in. I've got a drink. Don't worry, I've got a brew. <laughs> don't worry, we we'll, we we'll sat back and we we'll relax. So yeah. Okay, so before 2016, you were allowed as a as a landlord, so just someone that had bought a house in your own name, exactly like you've done with your own home to live in. You were allowed to declare um, certain things as costs of doing business. So you know. Maintenance, for example, fixing something in the house, you know, that's that's a cost of doing business, right? But also your mortgage interest was also declared as a cost of doing business. Sounds sensible. It is a cost of, of doing business. So that was the uh, the good old days. Now, the government changed, changed everything in 2016 and started a process whereby they took that privilege away for anyone, anyone owning a buy-to-let in their own personal name. So... At the time of, of recording, that's completely in effect now, which basically means if you go out and buy a property in your own name today, you will not be able to declare the mortgage interest as a cost. So what's the impact of that? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things, really. One is that all of a sudden, your profit looks a lot better than it actually is, um, which means, say, for example, you're on the the kind of edge of being a basic rate taxpayer, um, but not quite a higher rate taxpayer, then that might push you into the the higher rate, which obviously has implications for your your tax liability. Um, but also, it's yeah, it's that kind of well, if you're if you're a higher rate taxpayer and always have been, then all of a sudden you're paying forty percent tax on profits that you don't really you don't really have. So it kind of makes things as a personal ownership landlord a little bit more difficult in in that like the finances can stop making sense for some people. So the whole limited company debate, Craig, came off the back of all these changes. Right. And the reason is the treatment of mortgage interest if you're investing within a limited company. And all that means is a limited company is set up and then you buy the properties as the company rather than as you as an individual. If you do that, then the mortgage interest can still be declared as a cost of doing business. Does that, does that make sense? Does that kind of come across? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's, 
this is such a big a big one in terms of debate. So generally speaking, um, I would say that the limited company debate should be really seriously thought about if you're a higher rate taxpayer, so you're paying 40% on your income tax. And also if you're looking to build portfolio for the future, yeah. but not necessarily want to live off the income because, you know, clearly if you're taking, you know, the profit inside the company and then taking the money out of the company, you could be getting taxed twice, basically. So right, yeah, yeah. generally, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you know, quite far away from that higher rate bracket and, you know, you, you're getting into this for the first time, you're doing it in a personal name is it's probably going to make a little bit more sense. You know, there's so many kind of other things to consider. The cost of accountancy, for example, Craig, if you set up a limited company, yeah. that, that company needs to do its accounts once a year. And it's not as simple as doing a self-assessment return, um, you know, like you would if you're doing it in your own name. So uh, mortgage interest, like the mortgage deals available, limited company mortgage products are always more expensive, all else equal, um, than a than one in your in a personal name. There's little fee surprises all the way along the journey as well inside a limited company. So generally, if you know, if, if the listeners out there are thinking, oh well, I'm not really sure what I should do, then you can start this conversation off with a mortgage broker just to kind of thrash it out a little bit. But you want to be seeking professional tax advice if you can to be sure that it's the right thing for your situation um, if you're going to be looking at doing it through a limited company. The good thing is, like you've explained there, Richard, very, very well, it's about what's right for their clients, isn't it? So whether it is something they're looking to do just as a one-off and think, oh, I'm just going to have one buy to let and just stick stick with that or whether it's something that part of their pension plan and part of a long-term strategy then absolutely it's got to be right for the for the client and that's why it's important to have a chat with somebody like yourself who will listen to the client situation look at the long-term goals short-term goals and give them the the best advice and the right advice from the stocks and with this, it's all about getting it right from the beginning, isn't it? Really, and not sort of switching from one to another further down the line, except like and going from a limited to a, to own them individually and individually to to company because like these tax implications and things like that with this, that as well. So, you're going down this road, go down the right road from the start, and don't think about jumping from one to the other. Really, yeah, I'd I'd I'd, I'd agree with that generally because you can, you know, once once the house is bought, like you said, once you. Once you own that, either way, in your own name or in a company name, changing that, you know, changing that over, is it's very difficult to do. And like you said, there's lots of tax implications involved there. But you know, generally in in investing circles, some of the advice that I I was given was, look, if you're doing your first property, then do it in your own name because it's easier. It's everything's so much easier in terms of you know mortgage lending. You don't have to set up a limited company and everything that goes with that. And you know what, you might do it once and you might hate it. You might you might not want to buy a second <laughs> or third. So yeah, and and also although people I know we're you know we're we're British. We you know generally and especially I'm I'm a Yorkshireman of course, so we're very tight. We don't. We don't <laughs> We don't want to be paying um, any tax if we can, you know, if we can legally avoid doing that. But 
just because you're paying less tax doesn't mean you're better off overall. You've got to you've got to look at the overall numbers and the the real world kind of examples of you know what mortgage rates are around and what the typical accountancy costs are. You know what the rate of corporation tax is, and that's I've helped clients with that in the past in uh, in terms of getting to grips with the the real world numbers rather than just kind of well we pay less tax in a company so let's do it that way. Um, it's loads more complicated than that. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big topic, is that one? Hopefully that that kind of the juice is flowing a little bit. No, absolutely no, and you explained it well. And I think, like I say, it's just giving the client the knowing what options they've got and making sure they're um, they speak to an advisor, mortgage broker to to get the best possible advice they can get on there with regards to what is right for them. Yeah, and. Just touch on that, Craig. Just one more thing as well, because not not all you know mortgage brokers and mortgage advisors are created uh, created equal. And you know, if if you're going to be speaking to someone about buy to let, it's worth asking them. You know, how much of their business is is buy to let? For example, you know, have they done have they done much buy to let in the past? Do they invest themselves? You know, things like this. Because mm-hmm. you know, if if uh, if advisors are used to just doing you know residential residential market over and over again for clients then you know of course that's that's great but buy to let is a very different it's very different so you could do with speaking to an advisor that has done quite a bit of a buy to let and you know maybe they don't invest themselves but maybe they've helped lots of clients with buy to let in the past i'd say it's worth asking that question before you were kind of dive in with someone okay fantastic so just before we wrap up then richard jacobi we've gone on and spent We've taken up a half an hour of your time already. Is there anything else you would like that listeners should be aware of? Any other bits of advice that you've got before we before we wrap up? Yeah, I think um, if if this is an area that you're really keen on on getting into and you're excited about, then I would say you know there's loads of free resources out there. So you know there's there's lots online that you can learn and lots of books that you can read to further your knowledge. Um, but but generally. I would absolutely start with the the end goal in mind. So, you know, don't don't be getting into this just kind of on on a whim. Um, if you're going to be buying bricks and mortar, think about what's the end goal. You know, is it that pension pot? Is it is it some passive income? And then once you've got the goal in mind, that'll really direct the you know the the way you start the journey off. So, yeah, I'd, from you know from a from a personal point of view. I've thoroughly enjoyed the whole process and it's like with anything, Craig, there's, you know, there's, there's ups and downs and there's surprises here and there. But, um, for me, uh, the, you know, the, the ends totally justify the means. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the kind of advice I'd give. Be clear on your end goal. Good. I think that's great advice. And I think like you say, it can be any, buying any, whether it's a, buying any property, whether it's for you to live in or renting out, it can be, stressful time it can be certainly time consuming so you've got to have that end goal in mind and fix that end goal um as far and and as much as you possibly can and stick to that really so great advice richard great advice so not bad for your first podcast then it was it wasn't sort of too painful for you quite relaxed informal and some great tips coming out from from an expert no i think i think i might have forgotten occasionally that we were recording it was uh, it was good to talk um if clients call me and ask to talk about this kind of thing, I can keep them on the phone for much longer than half an hour. So 
No, thanks for having me on, Craig. No, no, I appreciate it. It's clear, it's clear to see that you are experiencing it, you care about it, you're passionate about it, you have got your strategy, short-term, long-term, you, and you, from your own experiences, you know what you're doing with that. So it's great to get you onto this podcast and uh, share those experiences. So, yeah, thanks, Richard, for your time and being part of the Mortgages Money and More podcast. I think, like I say, we will get you back on um, further down the line in, in terms of more hints and tips with uh, buy-to-let and investing buy-to-let. And if there is any any questions you've got or topics you want to discuss, please get in touch. And thank you to everyone who has listened and subscribed so far. Thank you.